Good morning, and welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. What a privilege and what an honor it is that you allow me into your home and into your life every day. There are things that, as a pastor, you never get over, and one of them is that people will love you enough to let you be a part of their life. For 40 years, you have allowed Sister Bev and I and later Shasha to be a part of your lives, and we don't take that for granted. You, you, could, you could just say, no, we don't want to be a part, but you've allowed us to be a part of your lives. It's important as we walk this journey together that we walk this journey together. Now, later in the uh, devotions this morning, I'm going to share a little testimony from one of our members. We'll talk more about that later. But right now, let's open our hearts in prayer. Father, we come to you as a good God. There's no one else like you. You are good and your mercy endures forever. And Lord, even when we don't understand all the things going on around us, we know that you are good and your mercy endures forever. Father, we come in Jesus' name today. We ask for your hand to be upon the lives of all of our people, for your authority to manifest and flow in their lives and keep this sickness far from their households, for your kingdom to come to their homes, for the frontliners, Lord, for your kingdom to come to their lives, that this sickness shall not come near their body in Jesus' name, that the angels will guard them in all their ways. Father, this is a time that we pray for protection like no other. We've never walked days like this, but Lord, you walk with us. You never leave us. You never fail us. You never forsake us. So, Father, we rejoice as we stand in four-hour lines at grocery stores that you're there with us, that as we go to the market, you're there with us, that your protection is upon our lives. No, Lord, we will not be foolish, but neither will we walk in fear because you are with us and faithful is he who has promised. Father, I pray right now, there are families that are beginning to get tense, there's arguments that are beginning. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, just let there be peace upon every home. Let every heart just have a supernatural calmness and a peace. Let the joy flow back to every family. Let joy flow back to every home. The parents that are really getting stressed out with the kids and young people, Lord, that are getting stressed out with their younger brothers and sisters and even with their parents. Father, let this not be a time of harm. Let this be a time of harmony. Father, in the name of Jesus, let peace and let joy fill the hearts of your people. Let peace and let joy fill every home today. We bow our hearts to you, Lord. Lord, as we open our heart to your word this morning, teach us. Let our hearts burn within us as we understand your ways. As we begin to understand, Lord, a system of logic that is so different from everything we see around us in the world today. Father, we choose to believe. We choose to follow you. Teach us. Now receive our worship, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, please, and let's open our hearts in worship.
I remember that service. That's the middle of an all-night prayer meeting. The communion was out, so it's probably around, oh, 3.30 in the morning, and you are still so full of energy. My friends, I'm so looking forward to us being back together in God's house. Uh, we'll do some teaching on it next week. Psalms 91 today. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. We're now finishing or coming close to the end of week four of this lockdown. Three more weeks to go. It's amazing. Entering into this, without four weeks, we can bow our heads and endure it. But now you're having to learn a new lesson. You have to settle in and you have to figure out how to make it. God will provide. God will always provide. But you have to use some thoughts. Now, in Hebrews 6 verse 12, it says that Abraham received the promise by faith and patience. Maybe I'll teach some on this in our services next week in the evenings. Faith is not a short burst of faith. Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith, meaning a short burst of faith. There are people that have faith like a battery that's just about run out, just boom, and then it's out. But he said, more than just faith, you have to have faith and patience. Now, the Greek word there for patience doesn't mean to sit back and take a nap and wait. It literally means endurance and pushing. It's like a woman giving birth. She has to push. Now, some of you, forgive me, you're doing very well. And for those of you that are doing very well, some of you, to be honest, have never made more money. You're working so much overtime. You're doing so well. Others of you, you've got reserves. You're fine. But for those of you that are just beginning to prosper, you're hand to mouth. You're going, how am I going to make this? You can't count on the government to provide. God never said all your needs will be met according to the government. God said all your needs will be met according to the riches of glory through Christ Jesus. Your source is heaven, not the LGOs. Now, please, I, I, we're thankful for everything they do. But you have to keep your focus off of them and your focus on to God. God will bless the work of your hands. He's given you ideas. 
Now, I'm going to start showing you little testimonies from time to time because there are so many coming in, people. And if you're going to send us a testimony, make sure you get a good video, all right? Because some we've had to reject because the video just, it didn't work. So if, make sure you get a good video and send it to us, but encourage your brothers and sisters. These are people who don't just sit back and wait for somebody else. They have patience that pushes. Here's a testimony of one family. Hi, COP. I'm Brother Ivan, and this is my wife, Wenzel. We are both ushers from South Campus. Our businesses, we have a cake shop and a meat deli shop. Uh, we were supposed to have the soft opening of our new shop last March 28th, but unfortunately, the president declared a national community quarantine. Uh, we were a bit concerned on how we are going to sell our products since because our products are not what can be called uh, basic essentials. But God is good. I remember the, what Pastor teached us uh, previous months that when God opens door, nobody can shut. Uh, in less than two weeks, all, all our meat products were sold out and cake orders keeps coming every day. Since the beginning of lockdown up to this point, we, we were able to sell almost a hundred cakes and even up to next week, we have orders that needs to be delivered. We have a faithful God, and we want to encourage every one of you to say to stay focused to God, keep seeking Him, ask for wisdom. Kasi yung pong plano ng Panginoong Diyos para sa atin, hindi po yung nagbabago because uh, circumstances change. God remains faithful. And um, when God gives you the opportunity, the open doors, be ready po kasi it will really require a lot of hard work. And we want to encourage all of you with this passage in Malachi 3.18. It says, Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. Amen. One big amen to that. So COP, we would like to thank you all for allowing us to share to you the goodness and faithfulness of our wonderful God. Truly, He is good. What a great testimony. Did you notice that the Rolosa family did not just give up? They did not just say, well, nobody's going to buy cakes because they're not an essential item. Did you notice they kept pursuing their dream? That's patience that pushes. That's not just sitting back waiting. Well, you know, when the economy turns around, then I'll sell my cakes. They kept pushing. And now God has given them abundance of orders. Every day we're going to have little testimonies to show you that you don't have to give up your dreams. Nor do you have to quit and just sit down and watch Eat Bulaga. There's something for you to do. God will provide. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in Luke chapter 16 today. Luke chapter 16. We've got the parable of the dishonest manager, which I will tell you straight up, there's things in here I just don't understand. And the law of the kingdom of God and divorce and remarriage. So we've got a beautiful set of passages today. He also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. Now notice, not that the man was corrupt, not that the man was stealing, but that the man was wasting his possessions. So it's not a question of stealing. It's not a question of corruption. It's not a question of dishonesty. It's a question of negligence. 
You see, sometimes there are people that you put in charge of things, and it's not that they're corrupt, it's just they're negligent. They they just don't take care of the things that they were put in charge of. They, they're not feeling their responsibility. So wasting his possessions. Some of you have people who work for you like that. They just, they just don't care. It's not theirs, so they don't care. And you're going to see a truth come out later on that shows how this attitude must be challenged. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. Now notice, before you fire somebody and hire somebody new, you have to have an accounting. You you can't just throw somebody out and bring in a new guy and make him responsible because you don't know how bad it is. If, if you are terminating somebody, you need to make sure there's an accounting done where, all right, this is what they are turning over and this is what the next person is taking over. Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? Now notice, there's an owner and then there's a manager. And forgive me, if you're just a manager, the owner can take your management away at any time. And people don't like to hear that. But if you are a steward, you have to understand that you, you function at the, at the discretion of the owner of the assets. The manager said, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people will receive me into their homes. Now, he practices what we call utang lang laom. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, not as a group now, when you do corruption, corruption is done quietly, one by one. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now notice. Before this man was just negligent, he just didn't care. Now he's moved from not caring into corruption. Now when you fire somebody who is negligent, you have to understand, they will often take it into the next stage of corruption, and that's exactly what this man did. And Jesus said, listen, this, this owner commended the dishonest manager, now he's dishonest, now he's not wasteful, now he's dishonest. Negligence always flows into corruption. Let me say that again. Negligence will always evolve into corruption. For shrewdness, for the sons of man, uh, sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus said, listen, you know, in, in this world that we live in, corruption is praised. You know, there's a book that was written, What Were We In Power? What Are We In Power For? We, we hear of People talking and, and bragging about their, their shrewdness and how they destroyed other people and how they took advantage of other people or how they took advantage of a loophole and hurt somebody. That's shrewdness. And Jesus said, you know what? The world is more shrewd in dealing with their own people than are the sons of light. Now, forgive me, Christians. Jesus just taught you a great truth there. 
When you do business with unsafe people, you better watch out. Your brain is not wired the same way their brain is wired. Your brain is wired honesty, integrity, fairness. Their brain is wired shrewd. For them, the goal is to make money. Their goal is not to do the business contract with you and be fair. Their goal is to make money. So you're going to have to understand, Jesus just taught you that when you do business in this world, when you do business with unsafe people, you, you have to keep both eyes open wide and both ears open wide and brain turned on because they are far more shrewd in dealing than we are. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. We're the sons of light. We're, we're not shrewd. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now, every Bible I have, I think I have a question mark there. I have no idea what that means. I, I will look at you and just say, if you were to walk up to me before I ever read the Bible and say, Jesus said that, I would say, no, Jesus would never say something like that. But Jesus said that. I have no idea what that means. But one day I will understand, and maybe one day I'll teach you. But right now, I, I don't understand what Jesus means. I read what a lot of people have said, but it's taken out of context. It's, it's seen through filters that you, know, you can't use when you read the Bible. But he said, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Now, I can learn from that, that there is good wealth, and then there's unrighteous wealth. There's wealth that is not righteous. There's wealth that does not come from a godly source. God says that he would give us, give us the ability to produce wealth. But that would be a righteous wealth, wealth that comes from a righteous thing. But he said, unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. I have no idea. Let's go on to verse 10. Now, this one does make sense. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Now, here's a principle we need to learn about evaluating people who work for us or people who work under our authority. If they will lie a little, they'll lie a lot as long as they don't get caught. It's just a matter of boldness and getting caught. It's just a matter of, you know, what kind of safeguards you have in place in your company, what kind of, of a, what kind of auditing you have in your company. People will do what they can get away with. See, a liar is a liar in little things and big things. An honest man is an honest man in little things and big things. If they will steal a pencil, they will steal a car. It's just a matter of, can I get away with it? So he said, you just need to understand this. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. When somebody's faithful in the little things, you can trust them. One who is dishonest in the very little is dishonest in much. You, you can't trust them. If then you not being faithful in unrighteous wealth, who, if you will not, have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? Oh, who will entrust you with true riches? Now, here's this unrighteous wealth again unrighteous wealth who will trust you with true riches wow so we had to add that verse back to this unrighteous wealth portion and if you have not been faithful in what is another's who will give you that which is your own now notice we're coming back to the wasting of possessions this man wasted possessions now jesus addresses the wasting 
If you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Many, many, many years ago, back in the early 80s, do you remember those old red buses that had the big snout on the front? Not the flat-fronted ones. I think they were BLT or something. They were red buses. They used to have wooden seats, and then later they finally got some nice uh, foam with some vinyl cover on top of it, but they had kind of a snout on the front of them. They were red. Well, I was sitting on one of those one day right after they put in those nice soft seats. And after you've ridden on wooden seats in buses and bounced around, those cushions felt really nice. Do you, now, some of you young people, you can't even relate to this, but some of you that are old enough to remember, you, you remember the wooden seat and, oh, my goodness, when you finished, oh, your bottom. You, you had, oh, sore bottom, especially if you were on a long trip. But when they put those soft seats in, it was so nice. And I remember sitting on one of those buses one day, and there was a child with a, a pencil, and they just kept stabbing and putting holes in the vinyl seat. And I looked at the lady, and you know me, especially when I was younger, I probably said more than I should say. When you get older, you get a little bit more wisdom on how to zip your lip. But when I was I just looked at the lady, and I said, ma'am, you are never going to have nice furniture in your home. She looked at me. I said, look at you. You allow your children to destroy something that doesn't belong to you. If you're not faithful with something that belongs to somebody else, you will never be faithful. God will never give you your own. See, I've always lived with this verse because I always believed if I would take care of what belonged to somebody else that I was allowed to use, God would give me my own. For most of our lives, Sister Bev and I lived in rented apartments, rented houses. We've lived all over the city. I think one time we computed, we lived in 24 different locations. But, you know, one day God gave us our own condo. And then God gave us our own home. And recently we sold our home and we're, because Shasha's married now, and we're going to build a smaller home for ourselves. And we'll have our own home. But we were always faithful. We always took care. We always kept it repaired. We kept it clean. We kept it looking nice. We tried to turn it back to the owner in better condition than they turned it to us. And God blessed us. Now I want to challenge you today because many of you are renters. Not all of you, but many of you are renters. Do you want your own home? It takes more than just sowing a seed. Please forgive me. Yes, we sow a seed. We build God's house. God builds our house. Yes, I believe that. But there are some other promises that you have to take into account. Are you faithful? Are you a good steward with that home or that condo that you are renting? Do you keep it clean? Do you take care of it? Do you make it look nice? If, if you don't take care of what belongs to somebody else, God will never give you your own. Then it continues. No servant can serve two masters. Now here's the context. It's all talking about money. Here's the context. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve God and money. You, you just can't do it. Uh, I'm sorry. You, you can't have a desire to get rich. Now, God will prosper you. God will bless you. But if your goal in life is to get rich, you're going to have a real hard time with God. You can't have a desire to love money. You, you can't wake up every day dreaming of money. Like, like those cartoons when we were kids with that rich duck who just loved to go swimming in his money from the duck show. You, you, you can't live like that. You're, you're gonna, you cannot love God and money. He said, now, you can't serve two masters. Either you're going to serve money and chase after money in this world, 
or you're going to serve God and chase after God in this world. Now, God will prosper you. God will bless you. But you can't chase after that stuff. You chase after God. He said, you'll love one and you'll hate the other. Whoa. See, I don't care how much a Christian says they love God. If they love money, they actually hate God. And I don't care how much they say they honor God. If they love money, they despise God. That's what Jesus said. Then he continues in verse 14. The Pharisees, and this is I've been teaching you this during uh, School of the Cross too. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Now, the Pharisees loved money, but they didn't have money. The Sadducees had money. You see, the Sadducees were the, the Forbes Park, the Despotimus Village. The, the Sadducees were the wealthy of the wealthy. They lived in this area of Jerusalem that was really like the Forbes Park or the Despotimus Village. Um, the Sadducees were the rich nobility. You did not, you did not become a Sadducee. It was not a, a theological uh, denomination. It was an aristocracy. You came from the Hasmonean dynasty. You were you were of the noble class. You were blue bloods. So the Sadducees you were born into because you were born into the ruling class from the Hasmonean dynasty in between uh, Malachi and Matthew in what we call the intertestamental period. Before the Romans took over, the Hasmoneans ruled Israel. So they were part of the ruling class. So the Sadducees had money, but the Pharisees loved money. So you wonder why the Pharisees sip sip the Sadducees all the time, even though they disagreed with them just about everything theologically. But did you notice the Sadducees who had the money, they were the high priestly family, they were the Sanhedrin court for the most part. There were a few Pharisees there. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. See, people who love money, they don't understand people who don't love money. They don't understand people who will give everything away. Because for them, money is the most important thing. For us, God is the most important thing. God will always give us more money. But for them, money is supreme. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now, this justifying thing of the Pharisees, you have to understand. If you'll read some of the literature of the um, Jewish people, even today, some of their theology, there is a way around every commandment of God. For instance, um, the Sabbath day's walk. All right, it's not a problem. If, if you need to go farther than that, what you do is you, you take a few of your possessions and put them under a tree. When you get to the end of the Sabbath day walk, you put them there a day in advance. And then when you get to that tree, you say, this is my home. And now you can walk another Sabbath day's walk. There is a way around everything. There is a way around everything. It is just, sometimes it gets absolutely hysterically funny. You justify yourselves before men. You've, you've figured excuses around everything. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now listen to verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. You see, in Jesus, Jesus came to fulfill the law. Remember, Paul teaches us that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Remember, Paul said that Jesus, or that the law was a schoolmaster to bring us, a teacher to bring us to Jesus. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, 
and everyone forces his way into it. Now, just back up to that first part. I was listening to some very big-name preachers. I wouldn't call them pastors. I call them preachers. And they were saying, you don't need to read the Old Testament. They were saying, you don't need to read the, uh, the Gospels because Jesus was under the law, so anything Jesus said is not applicable to you because Jesus was talking to the Jews, and so it's not applicable to you. Really. Read that verse again. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, this is during the time of Jesus, since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. What was the message that John preached? What was the message that Jesus preached? What was the message that Jesus sent the disciples preach? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And everyone forces his way into it. But he said, now listen, you, you can't say that what Jesus taught is not relevant today. You, you can't say that because Jesus said, hey, the kingdom of God began to be preached with John. So you better listen to the gospels too, all right? But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Now, these people who throw out the Old Testament, yes, there are things that we no longer do there because they were fulfilled in Jesus. But he said, listen, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. I, I don't get these people to say, throw out the Old Testament. But Jesus said, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot. That's like putting a dot on an I in their language. For the law to become void. So let's not let's not just let's not take the Bible and divide it up like dispensational spaghetti. Let's just recognize that God doesn't change. And if you read the Bible correctly, you'll see the fulfillment of the Old Testament in Jesus. My grandfather probably made it the simplest for me as a young man. Because I was confused. I said, Grandpa, if if we're supposed to obey the whole Bible, then why aren't people stoned today? And why this and why that? And Grandpa said, Davy. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And I've lived with that little statement in my head because the longer I study the Bible, the more I see everything in the Old Testament fulfilled in the New Testament. Ah, now verse 18. Everyone. Now he's challenging these Pharisees because they divorced people a lot. Everyone who divorces his wife, now there's the initiator. Everyone who initiates divorce, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. But you know there are nations of the world and newspapers and news outlets that poke fun of the Philippines because we don't have divorce laws. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Hmm. So guy, if you go out and just divorce your wife because you want a younger one, you're, say, 45 years old and you want a 28-year-old girl, and so you decide to divorce your wife and go marry another one and start a family. He said, you commit adultery, and you're living in adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband, now notice, she's not the initiator, she is the victim, she's the innocent party. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So whether you are the initiator, the guilty party, or whether you are the victim, either way, you don't remarry. So when people come to me and say, Pastor, I want to divorce my Asawa, I said, you know, you have that right, and these are the biblical reasons to do so. But you remain single after that. 
Now, yes, I understand there are there are annulment for for cases of void and voidable marriages, and in those cases, the marriage never existed. In fact, I will even do their marriage for them because it was a marriage done under fraud. There was no legal thing done there. Now, there's spaghetti to figure out with the kids, I understand, but there's a difference between a divorce and a real annulment that's done because it's a void or avoidable marriage. And you'll have to get the lawyers to help you figure the rest of that out. But I just want you to see, thank God in our nation, thank God in our nation, our families have been kept strong. Thank God in our nation, we recognize the sanctity of marriage, that marriage is for life. One man, one woman for life. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor Summerall, in the middle of this lockdown right now, my patience with my Asawa is beginning to wear thin. Well, you know what? Just get over it. Walk up and hug them and love them in Jesus' name. We'll get through this. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. You are so
We're going to pick up today with Joshua chapter 7 and Joshua chapter 8. Beginning with verse 1 of Joshua 7. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, and son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Now, I want you to remember God said, Everything that was to be taken from Jericho was to be devoted to destruction or given to God. This is first fruits. This was their first victory in the promised land. Now, after this, things would change. When they go to Ai, things change. But at Jericho, everything was to be either given to God or destroyed. Verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel. And said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebrim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord that evening. Now, here's a beautiful truth. When something just blows your mind and you're confused, where do you run? To the presence of God. He fell on his face before the ark of the covenant until evening. So I'm going to make a little note in my Bible. Run to the presence. Run to the presence when confused. He said, God, I don't understand this. You said that we'd be victorious. We just, we just got our butts kicked. Fell on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel. They put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? We would have been content to live, to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear about it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Now notice, Joshua understood a truth. When these people were afraid of them, that gave them an advantage. But now these people are going to hear that they can be beat. Ah, oh, 
life just changed. See, Joshua understood life had just changed. Just like some of you right now in the middle of this corona crisis, you have to understand life has just changed. The, the normal, the, the, it will be a new normal. Things have changed permanently in this world. What those changes are going to be, I don't know, but things have changed. Joshua understood a defeat changed everything. When they got ready to attack Jericho, people's hearts melted in fear because of them. People knew that God was with them. Everybody was afraid of them. It gave them a military advantage. Now they see that they can be beat. Now people are going to think twice. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied, and they have put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord your God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, notice he's not an old man, this is a boy, young boy. My son, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Now, I want you just to understand this young man, this young warrior and what he had done. For 40 years, they had worn the same clothes. For 40 years, he had worn the same cloak. For 40 years, he had worn the same shoes. Notice the first thing he puts his eyes on, the lust of the eyes. I saw a beautiful cloak of Shinar. So the first thing he wanted to do was improve how he's been dressed for 40 years. It's amazing. Now, I bring this up because I often find that when we come out of dependency, when we, we come out of a time of need, Sometimes it's a little hard to restrain yourself. It's a time of tremendous temptation. 
You watch young people begin to get their first job and they've always had to depend on mom and dad for things. And then they get their first job and a credit card company offers them a credit card and they go heavily in debt because they're buying this and that and everything. The temptation, because you want stuff. Please learn. When you come out of dependency, when you come out of need and you see beautiful things, it's really easy to violate everything that you believe, everything that God has said, because you want nice things. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver and the cloak, the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep, and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over them a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Chapter 8, verse 1. See, some of you are listening to me read this this morning. You're going, that's brutal. That's not fair. That's not right. Who are you and I to say what is not right? See, some things, brothers and sisters, you just go, God knows exactly what he's doing. And you accept God. Chapter 8, verse 1. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and rise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. And you shall go to Ai and its kings as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city and behind it. Now notice, it was only the first city, Jericho, that was the first fruits that God said, you have to do this properly. After this, he said, the spoil is yours. If that boy had just obeyed God, all this wealth was coming. All these beautiful spoils were coming. Sometimes we just get ahead of God and then we get ourselves in trouble. But now notice the next thing. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. God gave Joshua strategy. Now I like a quote that I read one time. Strategy is your most powerful weapon. Strategy is your most powerful weapon. God gave them a strategy. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. In other words, all right, these people are very emboldened against us. They think we're going to run like cowards. So we will use their wrong concept about us for our benefit. Now, that's a pretty good strategy. When people believe wrong things about you, it's a good strategy to use against them because they don't know who you really are. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city, for they will say they are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. 
Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out. And they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. Now notice, Joshua, he knew the people needed to be calmed. He stayed with the people. There's something about the presence of a leader walking the journey with you. And this is something every leader needs to learn. I've talked with so many of the pastors in the provinces recently by Zoom and, and phone calls and everything else. And one of the things they constantly hear me say is they need to hear your voice. They need the voice of the shepherd. Here is Joshua spending the night among the people so that they would not be afraid. Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai. Now notice, Joshua as the leader was not in the safe part, which was the ambush. He was in the unsafe part, which was the bait for the trap. Joshua never took the safe position. Biblical leaders never take the safe place. They're always in the most dangerous place. He took about 5,000 men with him and sent them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, and the main encampment was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent the night in the valley, and as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his men, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the Arava to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended, now you always got to be careful, pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. Now, ladies, don't get mad at me, but if I can use a boxing illustration. Do you remember Muhammad al-Di when he practiced what he called rope-a-dope? He would get on the ropes and he'd put his hands up to protect himself and it would make the guy think he was beating him. But then all of a sudden, Ali would just come out and knock them out. This is the same thing. Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the directions of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. And they left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai for I will give it into your hand. Now notice, if you're going to have victory, God will give you something symbolic that you do that shows your faith. So Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven. And they had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who had fled into the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and the smoke of the city went up, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came from the city against them, so they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side.